Take Me by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one. Slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. I've got a feeling that keeps me on my toes. Oh, yeah. Said you're traveling on the one after 909. Get back to where you once belonged. The long and winding road. As they say, all good things must come to an end. And in April of 1970, arguably the greatest band of all time, the Beatles, had called it quits. However, a simple announcement of their breakup would not be how they would go out. They would release their final studio album, Let It Be, on May 8, 1970, a month after the breakup, and a companion film of the same name a week after that. This would be the swan song for the Fab Four. Would it live up to expectations? Would it showcase the fractured relationships that would define the band's final months? We look back on Let It Be 50 years later as we induct it into the Drive's Rock of Fame. Now let's start by making one thing clear if you didn't know already. Let It Be isn't really the final Beatles studio album. Yes, it was the last album they released, but it was recorded almost entirely in January of 1969. Tensions would then force the band apart until they decided to get back together and try to work their magic one last time. It was then that they cut the superior album Abbey Road, which they finished and released first in September of 1969. Abbey Road has also been inducted into the Rock of Fame, and you can listen to our breakdown in the archives. So how did a project that was intended to be back to basics over the course of 16 months devolve into a heavily fussed-over hodgepodge of live and studio cuts? Well, since this is the story of the end, it's important that we go back to the beginning of the end, and this beginning starts in January of 1969. The band members' relationships were on rocky ground when they entered Twickenham Film Studios in January of 1969 as part of a planned documentary showing the Beatles' return to live performance. Paul McCartney had conceived the project, which was called Get Back at the time, as an attempt to reinvigorate the band by returning to simpler rock and roll configurations. Now, McCartney had been leading the band since uh, manager Brian Epstein's death in 67, and he convinced John George and Ringo that the best way forward was to hire a film crew and make a movie about the band's efforts to rehearse for a series of live performances. After sitting on the sidelines, Paul wanted the Beatles to get back on stage, which meant writing simpler songs that could actually be performed on said stage. Can you imagine? However, it wasn't long before members began to snap under the pressure, and it was actually George Harrison who blinked first and quit the band a week into the sessions. He agreed to return, but only if they moved from the Twickenham soundstage where they'd been working to the basement studio at their own Apple Corps headquarters in London. It was there that the group hunkered down for the remainder of the month, amassing hours and hours of music. As at Twickenham, the Beatles performed a large variety of songs at Apple. The sessions culminated with the famous rooftop performance on top of the Apple building on January 30th and with a live studio set the following day for the songs which were less suited for an outdoor performance. 
So three of the Let It Be songs, Dig a Pony, I've Got a Feeling, and One After 909, were taken from the rooftop performance on top of the Apple building. From the final studio session, versions of Two of Us and Let It Be were used on the album, and various other performances from the day were used in the film. And once that recording and filming was complete, the Beatles realized that they had little aptitude to sift through the hours and hours of recordings for suitable songs. The task was given to Glyn Johns, who prepared two different versions of an album, both titled Get Back, and both of which were rejected by the Beatles. Ouch. Johns began sifting through the session tapes on March 10th at Olympic Studios in London. The Beatles themselves had little involvement, having begun work on Abbey Road around the same time. John Lennon spoke to Rolling Stone in 1970 and looked back on the process with Glyn Johns. The tape ended up like the bootleg version. We let Glyn Johns remix it, and we didn't want to know. We just left it to him and said, here, do it. It's the first time since the first album that we didn't have anything to do with it. We just said, do it. You know, None of us could be bothered going in the poll. Nobody called anybody about it, and the, the tapes were left there, and we got an acetate each, and, and we called each other and said, what do you think? Oh, let it out. We were going to let it out with a really shitty condition, you know, disgusted. I didn't care. I thought it was good to go out to show people what had happened to us. You know, like, this is where we're at now. We, we don't play together anymore, you know, leave us alone. And so the bootleg version is what it was like. And, and you know, Paul was probably thinking, well, I'm not going to f***ing work on it. There was 29 hours of tape. It was like a movie, you know. I mean, just so much tape. Ten, 20 takes of everything because we were rehearsing and taking everything, you know. Nobody could face looking at it. The Beatles rejected John's first Get Back album, and new recording sessions for two Let It Be songs took place on January 3rd and 4th of 1970, a year after the initial recordings were made. John's works on the first record for a year, and they reject it. One year after they first got in the studio, they're back recording two songs. So while John's was still working on the tapes, it was decided that the album should include just songs featured in the forthcoming film. One of these, Across the Universe, had been recorded in February 1968, prior to the Beatles' trip to India. So on January 5th, 1970, John's began assembling a second Get Back album with the instruction that it should tie in with the songs which appeared in the film. You know, it's amazing to me how quickly the band fell apart after that. February 1968, they record Across the Universe. Then they go on that trip to India. That was when they were tightest as a band in that period. They were all buddies traveling together. And then it was within months of that that things started to fall apart. So like Glenn John's first attempt, this second version was also rejected by the Beatles. And on March 23rd, 1970, Phil Spector began work on what would become Let It Be. Now, Spectre listened only to the songs already selected by Glyn Johns to avoid having to work through the many hours of session tapes from Apple and EMI Studios. Later that year, Lennon reflected on Spectre's approach. When Spectre came around, it was like, you know, well, all right, if you want to work with, with us, you know, go and do your audition, man. Dude, he worked like a pig on it. He'd always wanted to work with the Beatles, and he was given the shittiest load of, you know, badly recorded shit with a lousy feeling to it, ever. And he made something out of it. It wasn't fantastic, but it was, you know, when I heard it, I didn't puke. I thought, oh, <laughs> I was so relieved after hearing six months of this, like, black cloud hanging over that this was going to go out, you know. I thought it would be good to go out, the, the shitty version, because it would break the Beatles, you know, it would break the myth. That's us with no trousers on and no glossy paint over the cover and no sort of hype. This is what we're like with our trousers off. You know, would, would you please end the game now? But that didn't happen. Wouldn't We ended up doing Abbey Road quickly and putting out something slick to preserve the myth.
John had his reservations about the album, but ultimately liked the job that Phil Spector did. And Ringo Starr was also pleased with the results. He said, I like what Phil did, actually. He put the music somewhere else and he was king of the wall of sound. There's no point bringing him in if you're not going to like the way he does it, because that's what he does. His credentials are solid. While Lennon and Starr were somewhat pleased, Paul was incensed. McCartney was particularly angered by Spectre's cheesed-up production on The Long and Winding Road, a tune Paul would radically strip down for 2003's Let It Be Naked, a presentation of the songs by Paul McCartney of how this wall of sound hid how the songs really should have been heard. Paul would say in 1970, quote, The album was finished a year ago, but a few months ago, American record producer Phil Spector was called in by John Lennon to tidy up some of the tracks. A few weeks ago, I was sent a remixed version of my song, The Long and Winding Road, with harps, horns, and orchestra, and women's choir added. No one had asked me what I thought. I couldn't believe it. I would never have female voices on a Beatles record. The record came with a note from Alan Klein saying he thought the changes were necessary. I don't blame Phil Spector for doing it, but it just goes to show that it's no good me sitting here thinking I'm in control because obviously I'm not. End quote. There's a lot in that statement right there, too, because his control issues, Paul's, were a big issue with the band. Paul also had George Martin on his side. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Martin said, quote, It was always understood that the album would be like nothing the Beatles had done before. It would be honest, no overdubbing, no editing, truly live, almost amateurish. When John brought in Phil Spector, he contradicted everything he'd said before. And when I heard the final sounds, I was shaken. They were so uncharacteristic of the clean sounds the Beatles had always used. At the time, Spectre was John's buddy, mate, his pal. I was astonished because I knew Paul would never have agreed to it. In fact, I contacted him and he said nobody was more surprised than he was. Now, it's nice hearing from the Beatles and people associated with them, but what did Phil Spectre think about the criticism from McCartney? Quote, Paul had no problem picking up the Academy Award for Let It Be's movie soundtrack. Zing. Nor did he have any problem in using my arrangement of the string and horn and choir parts when he performed it during 25 years of touring on his own. If Paul wants to get into a pissing contest about it, he's got me mixed up with someone who gives a shit. Let It Be was preceded by a single, The Long and Winding Road, and then the B-side, For You Blue. 1.2 million copies were sold in its first two days on sale, and it became the Beatles' 20th and final number one single in the U.S. The album had more than 3.7 million advanced orders, which at the time was the highest for any album in the history of the U.S. recording industry. Now, despite sales, critical praise wasn't being piled on to Let It Be. NME critic Alan Smith wrote, If the new Beatles soundtrack is to be their last, then it will stand as a cheapskate epitaph, a cardboard tombstone, a sad and tatty end to a musical fusion which wiped clean and drew again the face of pop. Rolling Stone identified Phil Spector's production as the album's weakness. Quote, musically, boys, it said, you passed the audition. A reference to John's throwaway quote at the end of the live performance on the roof. In terms of having the judgment to avoid either overproducing yourselves or casting the fate of your get-back statement to the most notorious of all overproducers, you didn't. Now, in the years since then, the album has been embraced by newer generations of fans, many of whom remain unaware of the difficulties surrounding the making of. When you look at it on paper, Abbey Road really is the proper Beatles conclusion. It was the last to be recorded, and it even ends with a song called The End. But let it be fits as the ending, if for no other reason than to show that all good things do come to an end. Nothing lasts forever, and it's a reminder that you don't always get to go out standing tall, but sometimes you end up going out on your back, looking up at the lights. The Beatles' Let It Be. Released May 8th, 1970, and now inducted into the Drive Rock of Fame.